Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. As I live as a steward of what God has done, that's our phrase for today. And we're going to get to definitions and kind of all that stuff real quick, but I want to ask you this question. Have you ever heard this phrase, drive it like you stole it? Have you ever heard that before? What does it mean? Well, it means you, you're driving with, with speed, with reckless abandon and risk, right? You throw caution to the wind without a care in the world what's happening to the 6,000 pounds of metal and fuel and plastic and horsepower hurtling down the highway. And usually it's not your car that you're driving. <laughs> it's fun to be reckless and take risks with other people's stuff, right? It's fun to use other people's things as if you're not responsible for what happens to them. That's kind of the, the definition of somebody else's stuff. It's like, you don't really care what happens to it. But think about the other side of that. Think about ownership. Think about that first car that you bought. Not that someone gave you or someone else paid for, but that you bought with your own hard-earned money. Think about that first pricey computer or that house that you bought that you paid your hard-earned money for. Well, how did you treat that? You protected it. You insured it. You cleaned it when it got dirty and you fixed it when things got broken. And we treat what we own much different than the things that we don't. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with stewardship? Well, glad you asked, because what I'd like to do now is give you a definition of stewardship before we kind of get into the message today. The computer de definition, or what, you know, I looked it up as I was preparing this message. My computer said, stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something, such as an organization or property. And that's pretty good, but it's a bit of a mouthful for us this morning. For our purposes, I want to define stewardship like this, caring for something you don't own as if you did, all right? Caring for something that you don't own as if you did. So with that definition in mind, we're going to take a look at two, just two passages of Scripture today, um, and they're relatively short, so not a lot of you know, just me yammering on up here. One in the Old Testament, one in the New, and we're going to answer this question this morning. This question's on our screen. What does it mean to steward? What does it mean to steward? So but let's pray before we, and, and we're going to turn into our Bibles to Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and then we're going to be in the Old Testament here in a little bit. So let's pray. God, thank you for this time, for this day. Thank you for the people who've come, both here and on the live stream. Lord, we ask you for, um, to be good stewardships of this moment. For me, God, I pray that I would be good stewards of the time that you've given me with the people here. I recognize that it's not just 30 minutes, it's, hundred, it's, a, it's several hours 
of combined time that people in this room have given to you and to me this morning to hear what you have to say. God, I pray that they would steward the time well with attentive ears and open hearts, God, to hear what you would have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 2, 8 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. So what does it mean to steward? Point number one this morning is to be humble about what you've been given. Be humble about what you have been given. Verses 8 and 9 help us to understand that salvation and the salvation that a Christian possesses is first and foremost a gift. The Apostle Paul, he begins this passage in the broader context of Scripture by reminding the Ephesian church of their past state of spiritual deadness. He reminds them that they were following the devil. They were enslaved by sinful passions and under the wrath and condemnation of God. Now here's what we have to understand, church. If it's you or if it's someone that you know who does not know Jesus, that is their state. Following the devil. That's what the Bible says. Not me. Not Josh Stevenson. The Bible. Enslaved by sinful passions under the wrath and condemnation of God. As believers, that is the state of the world around us. And our job as believers is to go into that world with this message, that salvation is available via the gift of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So Paul, then he utters two of the best words in all of Scripture after this. He says, but and God. Those two words together, really good, really powerful. He reminds the, Ephesians, or the Christians at Ephesus of God's loving kindness, his grace towards his people, that their salvation is not earned but given, received by grace, not earned by works of the law. And while Paul does not directly tell them to be humble about what they have, as is our point number one, be humble about what you've been given, he does tell them, they're not to boast in it. Because here's what we know. We know boasting about the gifts that we've been given is not very classy. <laughs> it's not classy. You know, growing up, my family, like, we weren't the most well-to-do family. We had enough. We had enough food to eat. We had enough. Um, we had fun on vacations, plenty of birthday presents. Like, all that stuff was great. But there were always those kids who had a little bit more. They had a little bit better Christmas presents. They had a little bit better vacations. And the best of the bunch never let you know it. They were humble about the blessings that they had. They never made you feel bad about not getting the step-up toy or the better video game system or the better vacation. God calls you and I this morning to be humble about the gifts that we receive. And here's, here's the thing. If we read the scripture carefully, we actually see that suffering is a gift. It can be. How many of you have s suffered some kind of 
mal- or misfortune this last week? Like a lot of us, <laughs> we all have. How do you see that? Do you see it as something that just happened to you? That your circumstances beyond the control of anything in this world? Or do you recognize that there is a sovereign God over all things and he gives at times suffering as a gift? Now, does he do it because he doesn't like us very much? No. We know that God is filled with loving kindness and mercy and grace towards us. So, so why? Why then? Oh, why, do we, why does he give us these things that are difficult to endure and hard to go through? Why? Why does he do it? Yeah, it's part of the perfection process. There's a, I think it's kind of a legendary quote, but it's, you know, Michelangelo would look at a piece of marble. It's like, well, how do you make... How do you make something out of that big block of marble? So, well, I just take all the, th- I just knock all the marble off that's not supposed to be there for the sculpture that he's making. In our lives, we're, 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 we're covered with things that aren't supposed to be there in us. That old man, that old woman, that dead person that's still kind of clinging like a zombie to our lives as we try to press forward to Christ. And the suffering, the difficulties of our life, God uses those things to chop that little zombie into pieces and get him off us so that we can be the people that God has made us to be in Christ. Amen? Less enthusiastic amen than the first one. I'm with you guys, promise. Verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus... For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what does it mean to steward? Number two, recognize what you are and what you're for. Recognize what you are and what you're for. Like each of us, the Ephesians needed a reminder of what they were. They were, and I am, and you are, and we are God's masterpiece. The word here means divine creation. We are in the image of God. We are special, endowed with value and meaning. But here's the thing. Because we are God's workmanship, we don't, we don't ultimately get a say over ourselves. Scripture says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You don't get the final say. I don't get the final say. God gets the final say as to what we do with our lives. And I know I'm an American. I think everybody here, maybe you're not an American here, but maybe you are. And we live in this individualistic culture where it's like, I'm going to pull myself up by bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I do what I want. Individual. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us about who we are and what we do. Another thing that we see in our culture today is that, well, human beings are just products of chance and biology. We're just a big meat puppet full of chemistry, and that's all that decides what we do with our lives. We're, we live in this deterministic 
world. And I'll tell you guys, I'm a, I was a biology major. I have a double major in biology and biochemistry. I love science, but I hate materialism. I love science, but I hate scientism. I hate this idea that science is all that there is to tell us about the world. Because science can't tell me that I'm a special human being made in the image of God. Science just says you're just a stardust and molecules and chance and determinism. And here's the thing, guys. That idea is pervasive in the world. It is pervasive in the church, when we think about evolution, I'm not saying that there are processes where things change. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this materialistic, evolutionary thinking, that it's all chance, that it's all randomness, that is wrong. That is wrong. And our schools are teaching that. Our universities are teaching that. Our culture is teaching us that. And it's wrong. You are God's workmanship. God made you. God made the universe. God made it for a reason. Amen. <laughs> We're not just stardust and molecules. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul reminds the Ephesians and us that we are created in Christ Jesus, in the image of Jesus, transformed, glorified, destined for an eternal relationship with God, and with that, created to do good works. And what does that mean? It's the highest quality of action, the best kinds of works. Paul is saying that Christians should and must do the best they can. Now, who here has had a job and they've not done the best they can? This guy right here. Hopefully today is the best I can do for you guys. I'm doing my best right now. But we all do that. We all will take shortcuts. We'll all like skip the line a little bit. We'll all do the, the very base level work sometimes because it's just, frankly, it's just easier to do. I want to um, say something, and I wasn't planning on doing this, but since Joel's here this morning. So I, I see Joel a, a, lot of the, a lot of, several times a week, and um, at my local, my local grocery store. And I just want to commend you, my friend, for the transformation of that store. <laughs> I think before you were there, it was like not stocked. There was like no stuff. Like everything was just like a mess. And ever since he took over kind of his position, it, the, the, the store has been immaculately stocked. It's clean. It's so good. It's so good. And it just makes going to that grocery store like a treat. So... I don't know if anybody tells you thank you, brother, but from, from my heart, like, thank you for doing that. Like, that is, that is a Christian witness in a place that <laughs> probably doesn't have much of that. And so thank you for being a great steward of what God has given you, my friend. Can we give him a hand for that? Appreciate you, brother. I feel you. And, and, you know, and, you know, like, I have this little cynical side of me. I don't know if anybody else does, but I say this all the time. I say, like, 80% of people stink at their job. Now, some of you are laughing because, you know, that's, that's about average, right? And I usually don't say stink, but this is church, so we have to, you know, change it up. And, my, and the second thing I say along with that is my goal every day is to not be in the 80% in what I do. 
is to be in that top 20% as best I can, right? I'm not going to be the best at everything, but at least like be in the top 20%, you're doing pretty good. And as God's workmanship, as his divine creation, we are made to do the best kind of work. Like you have talents and skills and abilities and things that only you are really good at. And you can use those things for the glory of God. Here's the thing we need to know. Good enough is not good enough for Christians. Hear that. Good enough is not good enough for Christians. God calls us to excellence because when, when we're not excellent, it's a reflection on Jesus. I'm not saying perfect, guys. Like, don't hear me say that because none of us are going to be perfect in what we do. That's an impossible, that's impossible standard. We can't do that. But our job, our goal, our design is to do the be- very best that we can. That's what good stewardship looks like. Think of the story of the talents that we preached through recently. One servant got five, he made five more. One got two, he made two more. One got one, and he merely returned it to the master. The guy who had the two talents, who made two more, he wasn't condemned for not making 10 more, was he? No. Or 10 or 15 or whatever. The master knew his capability and commended him for doing what he had asked him to do, his very best. And that's what God has made us for, to do our very best in the tasks that he's prepared for us to do. So we need to recognize, again, who, what we are and what we're for. All right, let's continue. We're going to switch to the Old Testament. We're going to go to Proverbs 30. So if you've got your Bibles, Internet devices, uh, go ahead and get to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. And we're going to look at these kind of uh, verse 7 first and then 8 and 9 next. Proverbs 30, verse 7 says this. Two things I ask of you. Deny me not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So this is number one. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So what does it mean to be a steward? Number three today. Make honesty your aim. Make honesty your aim. We're going to break this passage, like I said, into a couple parts because the writer does the same thing. He says, first, remove falsehood and lying. And this is a, this is a noble request. This is a noble request by the writer. And it's also an honest one because the writer knows that is an easy entanglement to lie, to deceive, to speak falsehoods. And he knows that one lie leads to another, which leads to more, which leads to many. You got to have one lie to cover the last lie, then to cover the last lie, then to cover the last lie. I watch enough police shows to know that's how it works. Thank you, thank you, appreciate that. And this is why it's so important to teach our children to be honest, to tell the truth when they're small. As a dad, I get the most irritated when my kids do not tell me the truth, (laughs) when they lie about something that they've done or not done. Like, I already know they did something wrong, so lying just makes it worse. But why is this important as stewards? Why is honesty important as stewards? Because here's the thing, guys. When we, as stewards of what God has given us, we are responsible for his reputation. More damage is done to the witness of Christ and his church in the world through deception and dishonesty than through sin. It's kind of a head scratcher, isn't it? More damage is done to Christ's witness, the witness of Christ and his church in the world through deception and dishonesty than through just sin. 
for the church covering up sin, covering up sin through deception is more damaging than the crime. Because none of us confess to be perfect people. Right? No perfect people in here. No one guilt-free. No one sin-free. But we do damage to God's reputation. We say, oh yeah, no problem. Perfect person. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't think that. And then people say, well, you're a liar. And maybe your God's a liar. Maybe your God even, doesn't even exist. Because look at all his people doing all this crazy stuff. Like our, the glory of God is kind of on the line when it comes to his church. And as we live lives of, again, imperfection, imperfect, imperfect obedience is our, kind of our aim, right? When we do that versus deception and lying, like we actually can heap praise on God because, he can, because people can look and say, well, yeah, you're, you're a sinful person, but you're, you're not saying you're perfect. You're saying you're redeemed. You're saying you're forgiven. You're saying you're on a road to redemption. And that's what everybody's looking for. They're not looking to be perfect because none of them can. They know it. They're looking for a pathway to righteousness, which is the gospel message that we proclaim. You all know, and our, and our pastor, Pastor Kelly, is, this is one of the things that he really has a passion about, is we know that there's lots of high-profile cover-ups in the church about sexual abuse, all those kinds of things going on. The, the biggest and most like, shocking to me in the most recent past has been Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if anybody knows who that is, but in my kind of formative college years, he was one of the voices that helped me to understand how to defend my faith, how to argue for what it means to be a believer. And then we see that there's this decades-long pattern of sexual abuse and corruption and lying and mistreatment of women. I mean, it's so terrible. And the world takes that, and they say, well, if that's what the, the best of them do, what about the least of them? So I want to call you, and myself, and all of us who are watching, to a life of integrity, a life of honesty, a life free from deception, falsehood, lying. The second thing that the writer of this chapter asked for is a little strange, so we'll read it here. He says this, and as Americans, this is going to be, it's going to rock our, rock our brains a little bit. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what does it mean to steward? Point number four. It says, see the dangers of both wealth and poverty. See the dangers of both wealth and poverty. Now this request may seem strange, I mean, the second part's not so strange. No one wants to, like, be poor. <laughs> like, save me from wealth. That's the strange thing. Save me from poverty. Yes, please, Lord. <laughs> Keep me from poverty. No one wants to be poor. Being poor is terrible. We see the ravages of poverty on our streets. We see it on our television screens. We see it on our phones. We've all probably seen the bloated bellies of babies in Africa. We've seen the slums of India with children picking through garbage just to eat for the day. We've seen the homeless camps in Los Angeles and the trailer parks of Appalachia. Poverty's bad. And the writer, the writer tells us why. He said, 
Poverty gives rise to the temptation to steal and to profane the name of God. So yeah, no poverty, please, Lord. Can we all say amen to no poverty? Amen? All right, good. But why does this writer, it's a, it's a fellow named Augur. I'm not sure. We don't really don't know who he is, but that's who wrote the passage. A-G-U-R, that's his name. He says, don't give me great wealth either. You see, there's a temptation to wealth just as there is to poverty. The temptation is to believe that you're the owner rather than the steward of what you have. The temptation is to be like the rich fool in Luke 12. Listen to this story. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man who made me an arbiter judge over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consists of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample food laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So does the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The rich fool thinks that the blessings of God, um, he took the blessings of God and he hoarded them for himself. He was not rich towards God. The steward, the one who cares for what's not theirs, but as it is, as, as if it is, recognizes the danger to hoarding and holding wealth, to indulging, to being drunk on money so that you forget where the money came from. Now, there is a theology in the world that says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy. All those things. And that the only reason that you're not, because you don't have enough faith. If you just believe God, he'd give you all the things of your heart. He'd make you healthy. He'd take the cancer away. He'd give you a million dollars in your bank account. He'd do all this stuff. There's a couple of names that might be flashing into your mind. If not, we can talk afterwards. I'll tell you who to watch out for, okay? But that's not true. God is sovereign. And God in his goodness has created a world to operate in a certain way. And he gives good gifts to his children. He gives us what we need, when we need it, as we operate in faith. We don't, he doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always take the sickness away. Because here's the thing, guys. Eternity is a lot longer than your life. Maybe you're here 80 years. Maybe you're lucky you're here 90 years. Maybe you're one of those, you know, I can't remember how to say the word. You live 100 years, centenarian, something like that. Maybe you get to live past 100. Maybe you see a whole century. But what is that life compared to life and life eternal with Jesus? A little suffering, a little difficulty compared to the long, 
times, timescape with Jesus forever. We have to put our world, our thinking, our life into an eternal perspective when we think about these things. Some of you in this room, and compared to the world, all of us in this room are wealthy. Maybe not compared to one another, maybe not compared to the average American, but compared to the kid in the slum in India or the kid with the bloated belly in Africa, we're rich. We're sitting in an air-conditioned room with lights and internet and smartphones and clothes on our backs and food in our refrigerators at home. So our temptation, for the most part, is to think that we're the owners of our lives. Now, some of you in this room, by American standards, are poor, maybe. And you do have that equal temptation to steal and to profane the name of God. This is just as true today as it was in the early church. But we are all stewards of what God has put into our hands. Our job, as we continue, as we conclude this message today, is that we are called to be good stewards of what we have. We're called to remember to be humble about what we've been given. And grateful, by the way. We're called to remember what we are and what we're for. We're called to, called to be honest, to make honesty our aim so that our God would not be mocked or defamed in the world. And we're called to see the dangers of both poverty and wealth, both things, two sides of the same coin. And when we do these things, when we care for what we don't own as if we did, the one who does own it gets all the praise. God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills too. <laughs> I think it's a Dave Ramsey thing. He says that. He gets the praise. He gets the glory. So as we close today, church, live stream, let's be good stewards of what God has done. Care for what he's been given. He's given you. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.